Hello and welcome to Dungeoneered, a podcast dedicated to discussing Dungeons and Dragons. I'm Aaron. And I'm Josh. Let's do it. So Josh, last week, um, before the podcast, I was talking to you about a show that I have been watching a lot recently. Mm-hmm. And um, it's called Kingdom. It's like a Korean... I don't know why, but YouTube has been like saying, hey, you should watch all these Korean shows because apparently you're going to like them. And so I was like, okay, I'll give it a watch. And um, it's really corny. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's really, really corny. But um, I'm kind of enjoying it. It's essentially about like a kingdom, as the name would suggest, um, that has gone through some sort of weird zombie apocalypse. And it's like a medieval kingdom that these dead people essentially have come back to life and are destroying the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very interesting because it's like a has like a weird... Um, I mean, I'm trying not to spoil anything for people who might want to watch it, but it has like a weird uh, complex between the leadership of like two different groups within the kingdom. Yeah. And how they kind of try to maintain control and um, order within their kingdom while this like plague is going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I thought for the lukewarm open this week, we should do something um, related to political figures and like kings. And specifically, I want to talk about like creating a king and how you create like a king or a political leader of any kind and then dive a little bit deeper into what we look for when we're talking about flaws or like um, even positive characteristics and character traits. Um, so when you're creating a king, because I, I don't know how often you make political figures or how often political figures are involved in your game, um, but... What do you like to do when you're creating a political leader? Obviously, these political leaders need, you know, certain personality traits and things like that. So what what's kind of the thought process behind creating a king or a pers- or political figure for you? Well, it would need um like uh, so in in terms of how often I do it, I think it really depends on what we are actually going to like like in my current campaign, I don't make him at all because there's just not there's just not any space because well, it's like post apocalypse. Apocalypse, yeah. And so, like, they're they're not the the story we're playing out is not one of a bunch of different kingdoms or a bunch of different um, domains where there are leaders. It's like they know of four at this point, and two of them are pretty much non-existent anymore. Right, right. So I so haven't had not to do really it. a big space for political leaders. Yeah, within that system. I mean, obviously there can be, you know. Oh, there's still a lot of politics. or yeah, yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Um, so then, like, stepping outside of the current campaign you're in, like, what's your thought process when making a king? I know you obviously have to take into account the government that he's in and like the, you know, the area that he's in. But like, yeah. do you? Do you like evil kings more? Do you like good kings more? What's your like? What's your kind of thought process there? I like gray, kind of that middle, not not evil, like not 50 good. Or, like 50, 60 year old, like a gray, you know, like pepper, salt and pepper. <laughs> that was terrible. It was a terrible. Yeah, joke. I'm not respecting <laughs> that with any sort of chuckle or laugh. Okay, good. Keep going. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm I just, mean, I'm just doing I mean, what you do constantly. Okay, okay. I mean, morally correct. So what they do <laughs> is they are middle to like they. So there are things that they do that probably everybody wouldn't say. Oh, that's the most moral thing you could do. What a great thing to do. But there's also right. things where they're like, hey, I'm a good person in this way. And so, because so every, every one traits? of the major things that I think of is every person thinks that they're good, or the majority of people think that they are good, or at the so, very least in the right. Yeah, and so what I'm what I always think about is depending on how evil I want this person to be, what makes them think that they're doing the right thing. So if I want them to be tyrannical and have slaves and do all these bad things. What about that did they see as correct? Which makes total sense because, you know, obviously people have motivations behind things like that. And, yeah. you know, you could get into, you know, well, they're trying to prosper, have their people prosper, like their mm-hmm. certain group prosper, you know? Yeah, um, they saw so they, they saw this other like, group as a as a, uh, a danger to their or, people. Yeah, so they took them right. out or like they did 
Like all, all there's a million different reasons. So then, okay, what kind of personality trait do you like when creating it like a gray area king? Like what kind of personality do you go for when you're, you know, going to role play a king or, or a, um, you know, a, a higher up political figure? Always thinking ahead. Always thinking ahead. I was not expecting that answer. I honestly was not. Like, I, li- I like to think of the ones that are like, they're having a conversation with just these adventurers, but they're not treating them rudely. Because they know that adventurers okay. could later become super powerful and gain super good allies. So they're like, hey, let's be nice to them now. They'll remember that in the future and be nice to me if they ever become more powerful. Interesting. Do you like it when a party like interacts with kings because i know i know you don't have a lot of you know this campaign doesn't have that but do you like that to be a part of your game or a focus of your game well i've already started on my next campaign we've already done a few one shots in it and the very first thing that i had them do was pretty much do something so heroic that got them knighted so yes i do like it I wanted okay. them to be immediately connected to this one nation in the world. Yeah, because I, yeah, I'm I I obviously love political games like I've talked about before in the past, but it's kind of you have to be kind of careful with like king, especially extremely powerful, you know, like political entities because they can make or break or ruin a game, and you know, like if your if your world is not set up for the players in terms of meeting a king you can have all sorts of issues because like in my world for example i'd have to be super careful if you know people were meeting a king and i'd have to you know the the party in particular because like if you for example disrespect a king in the society that you guys are currently in then there could be a, a big issue yes. right so like you could totally ruin your campaign <laughs> by introducing a you know a king like figure but i think i think a- i think that's totally okay though i think what you have to do is as long as you make that known to the players hey you're if you mess up here you're like you're gonna be in danger because this is not a person you disrespect and as long as you tell them that and then they do something that disrespects or is rude like give them the chance and say like hey that was rude like like and don't don't take it as like don't immediately have guards attack but like have like somebody call it out like how dare you or whatever and so they can call it they can bring it back if they want to be like oh i'm i'm so sorry i didn't mean it in that way if they want to but they can also double down on it if they wanted to right cuz i remember i mean on a lesser scale in our campaign when you guys first met some of the lords um, there was kind of like a little somewhat of a tone of disrespect from some of the players and some of the characters in, you know, my campaign. And it can, you know, immediately be like, how dare you disrespect, <laughs> you know, disrespect the Lord. Um, and that's on like a small scale. And so, I don't know, I think when you're using kings and extremely powerful political entities, you mm-hmm. have to be really careful with how you go about having the party interact with the king yeah. Not so much because I'm worried about like, you know, they disrespect him and I murder them or something, but more so the p- fact that kings are powerful, man. Like if you get on a good side of a king, who knows what, <laughs> you know, the party can get into and what they can do. Yeah. So it can really throw, you know, a big wrench into any kind of plans you have. Or like, for example, if there's a big problem going on, the party can be like, well, why don't we just go talk to the king and get it taken care of? Ooh, you know, <laughs> like, um, so you well, so mine, mine is a too. very, yours is your, our current campaign for those who don't know is a very centralized, small campaign. Like it's set in this one nation. We kind of cross borders occasionally, but not, not forever. Um, right. and in doing so, then knowing the king of that area, yes, would be incredibly overpowered and ridiculous, especially if he was our friend, right. but like in my campaign, it'd be an issue. Yeah, in my campaign, it's the plan is to have it be a continent-wide campaign. So the lord of one area is not going to be the most powerful in all of these realms they're going to go to. It's just the beginning area where they're going to be known a known entity. Do you? I mean, obviously, it depends on the campaign, but it kind of brings up another question. Do you like a smaller, like, nation-focused campaign? Do you like I don't a have a world-focused campaign? Do you don't have a preference? 
I don't know. I, I. Well, no, I was saying I don't, I don't I have a I preference. Just, right, but I was just saying I guess I just like the ability to go anywhere. I guess is more what's more important to me than where mm. we actually go. But the ability to do and go anywhere in a campaign is yeah. As long as you don't feel stilted enjoying. and like forced. Yeah, like if you felt like you were just completely trapped, then it kind of feels like okay, <laughs> you know. Um, but even then, that can feel good too. In like an apocalyptic setting, for example, like you know, if you're trapped in a small little spot. That but even feel, then, I let you know. I let them go anywhere they wanted if they really wanted to, and they headed days and days east. They headed days and days west. They they have looked around the area. Right. Right. No. Exactly. But you know, there there's a time and place to have that you know trapped and stuck feeling for sure but i don't know i i just prefer as a character as a player and even as a dm like just having the ability to go anywhere you could possibly want yeah so i think you know obviously my campaign right now is pretty nation focused at the moment but i mean you guys are planning on doing some stuff outside of the eversong coast um you know so it honestly never feels like we're gonna get there though (laughs) yeah that we have so much stuff going on we're like let's yeah, oh, that's yeah. that's so far on the back burner who knows i mean <laughs> you might get there eventually i mean one of the things on your list you're gonna have to leave the the you know the country at least you know for a short period of time and head into the desert so that might be you know a little little something outside of the country but right now you guys are pretty stuck at stuck where you're at <laughs> mm-hmm Okay, well, that's all I have for Luke. Yeah, Robin. cool. So, on to our topic, which I we are we already kind of talked about it last week. As I said, oh man, it's so cool. We're going to talk about it next week. We are talking I don't about. Remember. <laughs> so last week we talked about Imask Arcana, which are powerful magic items created in the nation of Imaskar, okay. and. And I was like, hey, I could go into a lot of detail on a mascar, but there's so much stuff and interesting details, like how they got taken out by two pantheons at once. Let's not do that and let's focus on them next week. I think I remember, I think I remember oh, so you mentioning something about that now that I'm thinking about it. This week, we're looking at the nation of a mascar or the mascar empire. Almost as like a continuation of last week's episode. I'm assuming this nation is pretty powerful if they made these kind of items. Yes, they are incredible. Like their their king is known as the Lord Artificer. Okay, yeah, that's a pretty pretty big thing. <laughs> so that is what thing. the ruler of their nation is known as because their their people are so well known for being wizards and artificers and incredibly powerful. That like it is known around the world. Like I know we yeah I know we touched about on it a little bit last week, but do do you know like society in general? Is it like mostly like people who are like tinkers and artificers and things like that? Is that kind of like the idea behind it, or is it like you know just like a few like really well known colleges or you know groups of you know? It's an overall thing where overall they're known as this, but they're not all actually this. Okay, yeah, that's what I figured, but um, it'd be kind of a fun, interesting society to make if you made, like, a, like where the entire society functions exclusively around the idea of making, like, steampunk equipment or magical equipment or, you know, artifacts could be interesting. This, this is a nation and group that was so well-known and so, like... I don't want to say important, but it, that's, it was such a big thing that when it died, like when it got destroyed, which we'll talk about specifically how that happened, a group of people left the city, like left uh, sur- the people that survived, went into the Underdark and created a new version of this city called Deep Amaskar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, gosh. So it still technically exists to this day as it's been moved a, to the Underdark. I mean, that that's a pretty cool concept, though, too. Like, the nation dies and the people flee underground and make a completely new and different, you know, society underground. That's mm-hmm. pretty sweet. So, 
they are an ancient magical human nation full of wizards and artificers. Uh, as I said, the the head of this nation is called the Lord Artificer. Does he does he actually create stuff, or is he just like is that just a fancy title? I mean, not ex. Uh, <laughs> It's interesting. So the person, most of the leaders are artificers, or at least were artificers at one point. Right, right, right. But when they kind of become Lord, they do it less, but they are also have become kind of a different part of the item creation process. Okay. They become like, think of them like producers or like, um, investors so they they are the people who would be like hey yeah let's we got to get that made or oh man you should be focusing your research on this and like they take on a different role in item creation at that point ah okay that makes sense interesting yeah uh there was one who is um omened omenond and lord omenond literally had like one of the stories says that he had the Imask Arcana made specifically. Like he said, you have to make these, which, as we talked about last week, are magic items that are powerful, but also hold each of them a different segment of knowledge of Imaskar. So he wanted it chronicled and written down in a way that is magical and of their style. Right, right. Which, I mean, I just, I love the idea of... Even uh, this last episode or last uh, um, session of D and kind of did a little bit of that in a very small, weird sense. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I felt think, it. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. It was definitely a little bit that way. But um, does this is this society like more just like arcane? Like, is it? Do they just is is that what we're talking about? When we're talking about artificers. Is there a steampunk element to this? Like what? what Not is... really. It's it's more like arcane. They just call them artificers as they make magic items. So they're no more art. Okay. They're no more steampunk than magic items are. Is steampunk a thing in like a, the D and D setting? Is it like partially like a thing? You know, in in parts, not not excessively so. And I think we're more talking about the Forgotten Realms specifically. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um. They were described in the article as god a godless nation of magic. They're they're really making that point of these people are godless. They do not they're atheists, they say. <laughs> they really wanted that to be known. The Empire is centered in what is now the Roran Desert. They Which expand- I'm assuming happened to be because of the fall. That's, yes. I'm just, just it did. Yeah, it did. It used it. to be a lush and beautiful place. Not anymore. <laughs> The classic. Okay, I'm ready. Yes. <laughs> the expanded exponentially over their early dynasty period. This expansion began with the Nemrut period, named after the Lord of Amaskar during that age. During this period, the Amaskari artificers made their first great invention. They invented the first permanent extra-dimensional spaces. So ones that re- remain indefinitely which would eventually lead into creations like bags of holding and such. Okay. Now, this is an important question that I have to ask. If you had your own personal permanent pocket dimension, what would you do with it? Make it a home so I don't have to rent. <laughs> that's true. You're right. You're right. I think that's that's pretty much that's, steals the cake right there. Yeah, like that's literally the best. That yeah, there's nothing Man, else I would do with have it. To, yeah, you wouldn't even have to commute to work. You could just like exactly. You would leave it outside of work. You or oh, if you could man. if you could have it like the opening of it open in different areas that you suggest. I would have it like <laughs> right outside of D and D, right outside of <laughs> yeah. my other D and D. By my work. Perfect. By my parents' house. Like your just, favorite restaurant. <laughs> favorite restaurant. Exactly. You get it. You get it. Be so great. <laughs> Outside my sister's house. Just like the the main places I go. Um outside build a bear. I mean, you never know, you know? You never know. You're always outside of a of a pet shelter. Um just the uh, yeah, important yeah. places. Speaking yeah, also of pet shelter, I'm looking at doing my own aquarium soon i'm like getting so excited but oh, they're nice. so expensive 
if you need any advice, my older sister uh, made stuff like that constantly. Like that was what she used to do. I mean, she bred reptiles and so she'd make terrariums and aquariums and stuff like that. And so she has lots of experience in that. I'm looking to do like a planted. I've done a lot of aquariums when I was little or well, not little all the way through high school and stuff and then kind of stopped in college because, you know, moving and things. But Mm -hmm. I really want to do like a small a small tank that I can easily move around if I have to switch apartments and then like just a few fish here and there. Yeah. But I want it to be like planted and living. That's what I really want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Make it an Anyways, ecosystem. off topic. Continue. You're very off topic. <laughs> this led into the early dynasty period as the first emperor, Yumiatan, rose to become the Lord Artificer and they founded the capital of Inupras. During this time, Imaskar created one of their most helpful technologies called Bakari Spires, which were two-way portals which allowed large groups to quickly traverse their lands, allowing them to quickly expand eastward across Faerun. Dang. In this age, Imaskar also began to subjugate those around them, starting with the kobolds of Zexthandrum. Zexthandrum. How confident are you in that name pronunciation? 25%. (laughs) Zexandrum? I don't know. I I think Zexandrum is the only one I could think of, of how that would be pronounced. It's Z-E-X-T-H-A-N-D-R-I-M. Zexandrum seems like it would be it to me, but I have no idea. (laughs) Upon their subjugation... Imaskar demanded tributes of gold and gems. Now, the kobolds did comply, but not fully, for they withheld the best gems from them. Uh-oh, this was in trouble. ultimately discovered. Yeah, they are in trouble. And the Empire became insistent on punishing this act, which they saw as treachery. Now, they punished them in an incredibly weird and interesting and magical way. They removed them from their homes. That's what they're doing. But they did it in a weird way. Okay, I was like, that's not weird or interesting. So, no, that's they normal. <laughs> they punished them by removing them from their homes, the tunnels where they worked for these gold and gems. They did this by creating two types of golems. One is portal golems, and two is shepherd golems. The shepherd golems portal? would chase and it... What? Did you say portal golems? I did, I did. Oh, gosh. Now, the the shepherd golems would chase and attack the kobolds and shepherd them towards the slower-moving portal golems that would teleport them away. Wow. I mean... This was very successful. Also, the episode we just had, the the D&D session we just had, too. Yeah, it it is similar. Uh, This was very successful, and the fate of the kobolds is still unknown. Now, this was not much of a strain upon Imaskar, as while this was going on, they were subjugating the dwarves of Shiannala and the Tongan, another human society. So, do wait, did the did the kobolds just like disappear? Like they're just they're just gone now? Like they, for all we know, yeah. For all that's written in the <laughs> okay. lore, these no kobolds could be literally anywhere. They could have teleported them to the dimension of fire. The elemental plane of fire, and they just died. We have no idea where they moved them to. That's so sad. Yes, it is. Now, while they subjugated those, they annexed many others. So they were growing exponentially at this rate. In the next age, Amaskar split between upper and lower Amaskar. This created a period called the Middle Kingdoms period. Each side, upper and lower, founded new capitals, and during this period, Lower Amaskar began to face mysterious problems, starting with a plague, then blight upon their crops. This created a hatred in Lower Amaskar towards the priests that were unable to help them in any way during this time. Some were slaughtered while others were only exiled. Jeez. This ravaged Lower Amaskar, while Upper Amaskar was seemingly untouched. Lower Amaskar only survived this period because their enemies did not capitalize upon the weakened state of the nation. This dark and weakened period lasted until Lower and Upper Amaskar were reunified. 
in this weakened state and trying to rebuild a mascar, they built two more Bakari spires set to areas where magic was seemingly unknown. There, they enslaved hundreds of thousands of people. These people brought with them their cultures and their beliefs. And despite the wizards wow. of a mascar doing what they could, the belief in their deities held strong amongst these people. Mascar is a pretty, uh, pretty crazy imperialist empire for sure. Oh, very much they're so. Just, they're taking over. They're like, hey, everybody. Uh, we're weak. Let's just get a bunch of slaves real quick. And we're just going to take them from someplace <laughs> that pretty much can't it's fight us like back. like a Band-Aid. Yeah, just, you know, just cover it up. <laughs> of the places they grabbed people from, they believed in two pantheons, the Mulhorandi and the Yunthrek pantheons. There was such diversity despite being from the same plane, but they were also from different times and areas in that plane. So they stole people, like think of it like Earth. They stole people from Earth from all different eras and then just said, hey, learn to live and be our slaves in our world. Jeez. Yeah. Holy cow. They're taking it to the next step. Yeah. Now, in, in modern Faerun and times... The um, they have all of these groups have that were slaves have thoroughly intermingled and are now a con- called a completely different race because they are they're they're so disconnected from this current plane that they were the only way they could be com- thought of would be together. Huh, that's interesting. Now, the wizards of Amaskari created a planar barrier to prevent any of these pantheons from interfering with their slavery of their people. Gosh, dang, dude. Let's just build a wall around the gods, you know? Yeah. This was not to last, though, as the god of all the pantheons, Ao, who saw the whole multiverse and ruled over all of it and their deities, saw this and was displeased he destroyed the They're barrier, asked. allowing both pantheons entry into the world of the Forgotten Realms, Toral. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> As Amaskar rebuilt, Lord Artificer Ominand reunified Lower and Upper Amaskar, returning the capital to where it was originally. During this lord's rule, the wizard Madrioc, the Ebon Flame, tried to kill him. But he was stopped by the famous Imaskaran wizard known as Halister Blackcloak, or as he was known sweet at the time, name. Hilather Blackcloak. It's a sweet name. I like that name uh, a lot. Hilather was a young prodigy at the time, not the insane wizard creator of the Undermountain Dungeon, or as we know it in 5th edition, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Uh, <laughs> okay. Halather trapped Madrioc in the demiplane of imprisonment, saving Amaskar and Ominand. Is it possible to learn this power? Not from a Jedi. <laughs> good. Okay, good. At you this time. All day yesterday. <laughs> hey, I did it once. I did it once. Uh-huh, yeah, 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 sure, right. At this time, the Mulhorandi and Yuntheric pantheon were powerful enough on this plane and manifested themselves in a mountain range in the northeastern side of Amaskar, now known as the God's Watch Mountains. These manifestations, avatars, and incarnations of these gods descended the mountain and met with their people and bestowed upon them many blessings granting some priesthood while others were transformed into divine minions. And with this increased power and forces, the slaves of Amaskar rose up. Uh-oh. The forces were too well located as all of this empire had slaves, and they were too powerful. And many powerful wizards of the empire fell. Before they fell, many yeah. tried desperate and dangerous attempts to destroy their enemies. I, I really realized as I was doing research this week that one of the most dangerous things in D&D is a wizard stuck in a corner and afraid for their life. Bombs, baby. Blow it all up. At the palace of the Purple Emperor, where the Lord Artificer resides, they summoned an elder evil known as... Oh, no. I got, I got auto-corrected. Hold on. Let me pull up the name. 
Known as autocorrected. Okay, that's a great elder evil. I love it. The elder evil known as Pandorum. Pandorum. Where they, they imprisoned Pandorum, hoping to trap and use its power as a deterrent and a way to win this war. By the Yo, time that, that the walls were breached of the purple, the palace of the purple emperor, they were unable to figure out how to do this. Uh-oh. And they were all slaughtered. <laughs> At the Jorhat Citadel, one of the last places broken into, the artificer Mardava cast a spell that accidentally killed nearly everyone within from the enemies breaking in to her own people and turned her into a giant powerful undead known as a Nightwalker. Are those those like really tall, weird looking things? Yes, the ones that have horns ah, and kind yeah. of just suck the energy of those around them. Yeah, those ones. Yeah, those are super cool. I like those things a lot. They're super cool. No, as we talked about last week, during these wars, uh, this rebellion and, and revolt, the Lord Yuvaraj fell in battle when he was carrying some of the Imask Arcana that we talked about last week. Oh. The energies released during their alt- the, during his fight at the end when he died just kind of like the magic energies just kind of exploded and turned the fertile Roran Basin into a desert. Now the incarnated gods and the rebellion of the Mulhorandi and Yunthric slaves were enough to defeat the rest of the armies of Imaskar. And upon How did everything the, turn into a desert though. They were so just think of it like you are casting such high level spells. Like there is a war going on of high level casters. There is such concentrated magic in an area that like you know how wild magic sorcerers exist? Having that right, much right. energy in an area is just dangerous in of itself. So that magical energy just killed everything? Yeah. Dang. It, yeah, it was Boy. it's it's dangerous. Those people are way too powerful for their own good. Mm-hmm. But the other team was also very powerful. As even after they had won this war, the people of the Mulhorandi and the Yunthrek summoned spirits of retribution, which are called Screaxit or black storms or living sandstorms. They're malevolent air elementals that they whip up powerful storms that can rip the flesh from their victims within minutes. Jeez. Yeah, and so what they did is they had those destroy all that they could find that had not been slain in the war. Wow, that is rough, man. Holy cow. Now, they summoned these, but they didn't have any way of putting them away so that desert that we talked about that that the roaring desert is just full of these things now you don't want to go there anymore they just left them there oh no so they're just like infesting that place here this is literally the the last this is the the like sentence about it these spirits took the land as their own domain with each pack stirring from slumber every century to wreak havoc on all that opposed them. That doesn't sound Jeez. good. No, no. So is that place like completely uninhabited then? Yeah, because yeah, you don't want to live in that desert because every few centuries these things would awake and destroy everything in the area. Gosh. Hey, at least it's only every few centuries though, you know, so you have some time. You have some time, yeah. Well... <laughs> That is what I have for Imaskar's story. Dang, that's a bloody and brutal story, man. On both sides, yeah. All right, what do we want to create then? What what's your what's your what's your goal? What's your idea? I don't know. I don't know. I thought I would leave it up to you this week. Be like, what do oh, you think we should man. make? All right. Well, you should do a recap of what we made last week. What did we make last week? For those who might not remember, you know. Are you gonna remember what we made any week? Is that gonna ever? Is that gonna happen? Is that a? Well, you know, I do the research. I, mean, yeah, I don't I have re- to think of the thing. Yeah, that of course I, I. Of course I remember. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, of course, of course I do. It's just for those who don't, you know, just just a quick update, <laughs> jot the old brain muscle, you know. Something about magical items, if I remember correctly. What did we create last week? <laughs> we created uh, a bunch of magic magic items. 
that um, were like powerful world shaping items. Um, one that was like a magical anti magic sphere. To yes, we did the anti magic sphere. We did the magic sphere. Um, right. And, then and the anti magic the, um, area was literally. So as the world was being destroyed, the area that had. There was. Um, they created two magic items and um, anti magic sphere and a super magic sphere. So what the anti magic sphere did was it took all the magic from a certain area and put it into this other orbs area. Because as magic was weakening, this area wanted to have still full magic. Right, right. And I think there was a third one in there somewhere. But there was another one. one but <laughs> <laughs> there was another one, but it's somewhere there. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure we can, you know. But anyways. So, so in terms of that, what do you think for this week? I don't know. I mean, obviously, our the topic is around, a you know, a massive empire. So do we want to create just a like a massive empire that has formed? And how they rose and f- fell through history. <gasps> oh, no, no, no. I got it. I know what we create. Okay. Oh, okay. So we create a super magic nation, like a mascar. But as magic started to die, they no longer had control over their slaves. And they only had the ability to turn right. And we'll call them NASCAR. <laughs> so bad. So bad. <laughs> so bad. Well, I'm not even dignifying it with a response. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna bow out now. I'll let you continue. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll finish I'll finish out this episode, Aaron. You just get out of here. That's I can't I can't even work with you this week. <laughs> <laughs> My brain is in a mood. <laughs> okay, but I like I like the idea of creating a magical empire. I mean, I think that would be really fun. I think that was what we should do because that's what, you know, Mascar is all about. So I think we should do that for sure. Mm-hmm. But what do we want? What do we want to do for their demise? Do you actually want to do slaves or is this? I mean, I kind of love that idea of the like, I, I don't know if it would be slaves. Exactly. They could be like familiars or like magical slaves. The Great Familiar Rebellion of 1738. <laughs> I remember those days well. <laughs> I mean, that's not that's not a terrible idea. I I don't even know like what that would look like because like elementals. Uh, okay. Um, I think familiars in general. I think I think dragons, um, like pseudo dragons and such that are all considered familiars, but technically D and D's like that would be too powerful, so we're not gonna let you actually take that as a familiar. Okay, yeah, I like I like this idea of big magic empire. They lose control of something or something bad happens, and that thing that they lose control of ends up destroying them. I think that's a fun concept that we should stick with and do. But let's, I guess let's just play it out as we go. So let's create this empire. When do we want this empire to exist in our kind of world timeline? Is it right after the... the um, well, so I think it exists early what? on. early like like super early on and so they have just built up like becoming a a superpower we talked about like the when magic first create was created like some people who had discovered its capabilities maybe like then and they formed like a big magic empire before everybody else could yeah what if it's them that's actually a good idea yeah i think that's a really good idea unlike your nascar idea that's a good idea (laughs) (laughs) they were like the first ones though to figure out uh like what magic is and how to utilize and capture magic and they end up forming a huge empire for it yeah uh, with it okay yeah no i like that um what do we see them do with this empire do they conquer and take over stuff do they make an extremely technologically advanced nation what's the what's their goal what do they do I mean, do it they need really a fun. do they need a crazy powerful like, oh, man, we were doing it for the world domination. Do they need that or could it just be, what hey, if, we want our we want to live in comfort. What if they're part of the reason why the magic gate is closing? Like maybe they built like we do like a Tower of Babel and they built a like a magical structure that goes into the arcane gate to like conquer the gods or something like to enslave the gods. And that's the things that rebelled and destroyed them. Huh. 
Like, I, I mean, I, I, I think what it is is, I mean, because we know it's that other creature. That's why it's actually dying because that thing is just growing. Right. But I think that that oh, that might be a the gods' response to them talking of, hey, let's kill the gods. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I like the idea of a civilization actually enslaving the gods. I don't think I've ever heard or seen of something like that. Yeah, I think they I think they think they have the ability to do so. Right. Yeah, like they they believe that they are going to enslave and take over the gods, which is very interesting because like maybe they know that they are created by humanity in the first place. So we can conquer them. They learned the secret of the gods. That's fantastic. Yeah. And so they're like, if we created them with our own our own creation power, then we can control them. And so they end up, I mean, I'd, I'd imagine they end up conquering like a huge portion of the world or at least, you know, a, an entire continent. And they start attempting to enslave the gods. How do they do that? What do you what do you picture them doing? So I think at first it starts with blackmail. I think they learned of this from a god. Ooh, interesting. So they blackmail that god for a while being like, hey, don't, don't, you can't let, you have to keep our, like, actions hidden. What would be the god's purpose to tell them this? Does, I think he's just a think they're, like, snitch. The best god, or? <laughs> just a snitch. He's just like a weaselly, like, just real rat of a man. Do we do we want him to be like like um the god who wants to like sow chaos and trouble, but like he gets a little bit too much by doing this? Like is he like a I'm just yeah, like if he if he's if his purpose is like what would his purpose is just to snitch? Because I feel like that's a little bit purposeless. Like what would be No, I think he's a messenger god and he's just kind of a weasley person in general. The messenger god who's just so he just is like delivering them the message that Well no, so I don't think he what? ever told them. I think what happened was they found out and they told him, Hey, we know. What if we what if we took it a little bit different and they captured a god and like tortured him and learned the secret? Then they had this guy hide the body. That could be interesting. And they got proof that he hid the body, so he can't tell anybody. I think I like the idea of a god like that's working with humanity for the purposes of like becoming the soul god or something like for the purposes of like them wanting to be the best god in the pantheon like no one ever and was. Yes, exactly. And what they do is they travel around the world and they capture a god and deliver them to humanity in a thing called a pokeball. Right. And then. Humanity uses that to torment this god to learn the secrets of how gods were created. I like that. I like I like that this weasel exists. Yeah, I think that would be really fun. Like he's and maybe maybe this god too isn't even like a very powerful god. Like maybe he's just like you know, like a three year old invented him while in his sleep one time, you know? <laughs> well no, I like to think that he's the messenger god. Yeah, no, I like and that. so and yeah. so he's just kind of sees him. Like, everybody sees him as, oh, you're just the messenger for the powerful gods, right? You're 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 a nobody, you know. And he ends up tricking a god into like getting captured by humanity. I like to think that what he does is he delivers things in extra dimensional messages, like extra dimensional bags, and so he traps them in one of these extra dimensional messages. I think I like that a lot. I think that's, you know, in, super interesting. He, like, delivers the ultimate message, essentially, to humanity, which is, here's a god for you to learn secrets. Mm-hmm. And so humanity then, how would they, tor- they torture this god? Or they, like, they learn the secrets of how gods were created, which is through human, you know, creation energy. Yeah, human belief. A long time ago. Yeah. Then what happens? So they learn this, then they start... Do they... I mean... I mean, you could go something really crazy and they like they they siphon the god's energy like they create like a magical artifact that siphons a god's energy and they use that to bolster their own power to ascend up into the heavens 
to try to pass through the arcane gate and fight the gods. I don't think they ever got that far. I don't either, but I think, I think that's I think the plan. That, yeah, I think that was the plan was, <laughs> hey, we we have to... The, the arcane gate is is only triggered by the soul of a of the gods of like you have to have a soul of a god to get through so part of what they're doing is trying to figure out a way to trap the soul of this god they have captured into something that's portable and controllable so they try and like fly it through the arcane gate Mm -hmm. launch it through the arcane gate well no they they would just carry it like some sort of gem or something what if they like what if they what if they tried to like make some sort of like horrific weapon out of it and they like built airships to like ferry it up into the sky towards the arcane gate and like shoot some sort of arcane magic death ray in through the gate maybe they, maybe they were trying to break the gate so that they could get more arcane power like they just want to shatter the the things between between realms so that arcane energy just falls upon the land and so that they can gain all the power yeah maybe that's what they realize that's what they find out is that yeah the gods are a strain on the on the the weave of magic in the same way humans are so if you destroy every single one of them arcane magic becomes more powerful and so in a world where it's dying that is incredibly necessary yeah as they see it destroy the veil that like protects the like that keeps magic limited from the world then we can all have a greater access to it and so they like i love the idea of like trying to use a god like like i picture like in a big vat like this like immense entity that they've captured and like they're trying to like harness his energy into some sort of arcane like arcane laser that they can like death star that they can just like launch a arcane beam like a prismatic beam up into the sky and just like cut through the arcane veil and have it like all fall onto society bust through the arcane gate and then maybe they even like try to bust through the arcane gate and invade with their army or something that could be cool too i like the idea of trying to um get through the arcane gate and send some sort of a weapon okay so like an explosion what if what if then the god that they captured which is unnamed currently or is unknown like we don't know what his power is what if like because we like the idea of like they rebel and they break free what if he like breaks free and partially is this arcane cannon and so like one of his his um his like one of he like adopts a new pantheon and his new pantheon is like the god of destruction and war or whatever and he like lays waste to these people by destroying them with their own magical with their own magical uh prowess that could be super interesting too or maybe i like the so hold on i like the idea of this i want to build on it um in this world where people define what gods are like by their belief and such could he have to build up some sort of a following that believes in him as the deity of another um, domain so that he gains that domain? That could be really interesting. And so he worked hard to make sure that there was a people that would believe in him as the domain of whatever this weapon is so that he would have control over it. You could even do the concept of like he becomes the god of freedom because he was enslaved, and when he, when enough people believe in him as the god who frees, then he like uses that power to free himself, which could be interesting too. Very much so, yeah. And then he breaks free with this weapon and like destroys everyone but his loyal faithful, like the ones who, who follow him. Which could, mm-hmm. which if you wanted to, you could do like maybe this nation enslaves people, like, like they took over and enslaved a bunch of people, and then this god when he breaks free with this weapon, kills all but those that were enslaved and frees them all, and now they worship him cont- continuous to this day as the one who freed their, their society. Definitely, yeah. So like he, somehow like a, some sort of like 
like he becomes the god of the slaves within this nation. Like he becomes the symbol of their struggle because they see this every day in, you know, in the major city of, you know. Yeah, so they start, the the slaves all start worshiping him, giving him more power. And that is ultimately their downfall. That is how he breaks from his chains. He gains more power by, based on the amount of slaves that are worshiping him. Yes. And then he, along with the power of the slaves, they like break free and he uses this weapon and like his new slave, like, you know, following and they defeat the empire and he, uh, becomes their God to this day. Still like he's still there. This new society's like figurehead. And I even like to think even to this day, it's still like a land of, I mean, I hate saying a land of freedom, America. A land of the free. <laughs> Home <laughs> of the like, brave. It's still like a symbol. Yeah. <laughs> it's still a symbol of like, um, you know, freedom, I guess. Yeah. Woo. Woo. Land of the free. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I like that. I like that. Now, what else can we flesh out about this this society or the or like the god or the slaves themselves? Like what can we what can we build on here? Well, I think I don't know. So there's a couple things that I thought of right off the bat, which was what happens after the slaves, you know, gain their freedom? Does this god go back and leave? Like does Dude, does it like break up into two sections because this god passes through the arcane gate and leaves and then like a, like a group of them believe he abandoned them now? No, has he somehow been them. tainted and he can't go through the arcane gate anymore? Oh, is he stuck? That could be super interesting. What would he... That, I like that a lot. If he's like tainted and he can't pass through the arcane gate to go join the rest of the gods, what, what, what would that mean? Like, does he um. go into some sort of slumber or... No, I think he, um, hmm. does he rule over these people? Like, does he not rule over, but because I think for a while he tries to like help them lead a life that is free of rulership, teaching them a better way of living or one does not need to be in power. So what happens with him then if he couldn't return? Like, what does he do with his, does he like, is he just exist now is he like does he turn himself into a mountain as a symbol of ultimate freedom and strength does he like like, what happens only to be awoken in a dire moment that's needed like when needed i see him as like a he takes on the symbol of the phoenix what if what as a bird of freedom and as a, a phoenix of rebirth Okay, I like this. I like this. When I, I want to play off this. What if we use him in the campaign that we're planning and he, the arcane gate closing diminishes his power as well because he's now part arcane entity, okay? And so he, like, seals himself away only to be used again in a time that's needed. And maybe, like, the trick is is the arcane gate is closing for I don't remember the reason, but um, the party like awakens him to like destroy and reopen the arcane gate to like give the world back its freedom that it's dependent on magic because the world becomes so heavily um, like it's so part of society that if to lose it would be to lose a major part of their freedom. So maybe like if the party he's a like second solution history, option. Yeah, yeah, like they could go and reawaken him or control him again and try and break the arcane gate as one of the solutions to solving the campaign. He could, they can literally like, maybe he's still able to be controlled. Like he never fully broke the, you know, and if they find the ancient way to control him or whatever, then he, you know, he is, he can be reawoken and controlled and you can break open the arcane gate to regain magic. Yeah, it's interesting. I like that. Which, which, which could be the morally awkward <laughs> position because you're like, you know, essentially enslaving him again, and you know, using him. Well, I don't think it has to be done that way. I think it can be done from the situation of we need your help, and as his final act of freedom, 
he chooses death. Freedom! Because gods are, are forced to continue living. They cannot die. Even when they get killed, they just need a certain amount of time to build up power again. And then they re-manifest as a physical form. So for a god, the final act of freedom is ending it. Which yeah, and I sounds think horrible. Really and I think there should. <laughs> yeah, I mean it does for sure. But I think there should even be like the option of you can like control him too. Like I think there's multiple different ways with different moralities. Yes. In, you know, like you can literally enslave him if you want, and you know, use his weapon to destroy the arcane gate. You can use him at you know, like you can. You could you could control him and kill all the gods and and stabilize magic that way. You could use him and kill the creature to kill the creature, which is drawing on magic. Right. Like there's numerous different things you can do with him. And I think he would only be one of the solutions. There could be others, too. But Mm -hmm. like he's, you know, one of those things that if, you know, you had a really lore based party that likes to learn about lore and stuff, you could definitely have this be kind of a route, which would be really fun. Mm hmm. Now, what is his weapon? We haven't we haven't thought about what that is. I don't know. I, All I'm seeing in my I mind, say, I hate. All I'm seeing in my mind is like a transformer as this man turns into a gun and just. Poof. No, what I saw was like one of his arm, like one of like half of one of his arms is like a giant crystal, like a like a pearlescent crystal that like shoots an arcane lance, like a like a arcane beam of energy that he can use. Like they, re- they, they grafted it onto him essentially. Like they removed. What if it's like they, a they like, um, soul eater where he can turn himself into a weapon? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I like a transforming thing. I don't know what, I don't know. Well, not even, not, know. not like a, not like a, so like in soul eater, there's weapons and there's meisters. Meisters are people that can wield weapons and weapons are, humans that literally can turn or just people that can literally turn into like one is a scythe some are guns but there's also like oh this is one that has like three different options it could do a a small blade it could do a shuriken it could do like it could do a few different forms they don't have to be full-on transformer or sci-fi in any way yeah i don't know i there's a part of me that still likes the idea of like his forearm removed and it's just like a big crystal. Um, mm-hmm. But you're I obsessed like... with crystals as we know from last session. Yeah. 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 True. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. No, it's true. Um, so I do like something like that. I also like maybe they like his hand has like a massive hole in it and it's like a literal just cannon that he <laughs> he can shoot out of like well, he is uh, quite has, holy. Like, some sort of arcane symbol, or has like some sort of arcane symbol that was like engraved onto his arm or his hand, mm-hmm. and then like when he uses it, it like lights up and then like uses his energy to shoot. So I like that. Um, but I, I mean, there is something to be said. Like they literally turned him into a like arcane cannon or like a prismatic lance. That could he be used you know, like a um, like a like could it be like a you can kind of possess him. So a party member could so. literally just get his stat block. I think so. Yeah. I think you probably could. Yeah. I think you'd have to figure out how to do so, you know, like maybe there's, you know, an ancient ruin rune or something that has, um, you just run at him really, really fast. Yeah. You just, you just close your eyes and you hope, you know, <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, I think, that would be an interesting thing to have and, you know, definitely questionable. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I'm going to end it there. It's a pretty interesting Sweet. episode we made there. Yeah, I like this it a lot. This is episode 78 of Dungeoneered. Woo! Thank you all for listening and um, you can write to us at dungeoneered at hotmail.com if you want to talk to us about uh, your game Um things that like uh, topics for uh discussion or lukewarm opens or things that we inspired you to create or different things we love we love to hear from you um 
if you want, if you listen to us on podcasting apps with ratings and reviews, we'd love if you write a review of the show. It really helps show that you're engaging with the show in more ways than just one and kind of helps us uh, get more attention to the show. Uh, Heck yeah. Yeah. Anything you can you think of, Aaron? Hmm. Nope. Okay. Well, as I always say, always remember to be the sharpest barrel in the bunch. See you next time. Bye.